0: Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again together to join in worship of our trying God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and also to those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcement due to the periodic retirement of elders J Bron, J Van der Linden, R van June, and W Visser, as well as deacons A Klein and M Oldenburger, consistory invites the congregation to submit names of brothers deemed suitable to serve in the office of elder and or deacon. The letters of nomination must be substantiated and signed and uh, to be handed to the Secretary prior to the meeting of Consistory with deacons, scheduled for Monday the 19th of September. Consistory, as elders only, will meet tomorrow evening at 8pm, and this afternoon's service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence this service, let us sing together from hymn 5, verse 3 and 4.
1: Sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing from Psalm 106, verse 1. Let's now make a profession of our faith, and let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in Hymn 1. now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you this afternoon, Lord, and we thank you that once again you draw us into your presence. Lord, you, you take care of us. You give us not just food and drink and, and health and clothing and safety, but you also give us spiritual food and drink. You invite us into your presence because you wish to remind us of who you are and what you've done for us. You wish to remind us of the grace that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. You wish to draw us near to you so that we would love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the love that you have shown us. Thank you for being our Father and for entering into a relationship with us. Thank you that you're a faithful God, that you're true to the promises which you've extended to us. And thank you also, Lord, that you strengthen us with your Holy Spirit so that we too may may live in a relationship with you. We're also really grateful for the gift of your word. We believe that it's through your word that you speak to us and you also draw us close to you. We want to pray for a blessing over the proclamation of the gospel. We ask, Father, that this afternoon that we may hear the message that you give us, that it may be a blessing to us, that we may be reminded of your sovereignty and your grace drawing us into your family. Father, we pray that we may live as your children, that we realize what a treasure it is to know you and to love you, and that we would pursue you with all our heart. Please work powerfully in us with your Holy Spirit, and please draw us near to you. Father in heaven, we also wish to ask you that you would please keep evil away from us. Please be near to the members of our congregation who would love to worship with us and are not able to be here this afternoon. Father, we ask that you would strengthen and encourage them. Also pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of of all the members of our church, that we have a desire to come together to worship you. And we ask that, that your word would also go out on this Sunday to many others, that you would use the gospel to draw people near to yourself. Please finish your work, Lord, gathering your elect, and then please send your Son, Jesus Christ, on the clouds of heaven so that we may live with you for all time in a world without sin. Thank you for the glorious hope that you give us. Help us to live in this perspective. We pray these things in the forgiveness of our sins. We ask that you would show mercy to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon, brothers and sisters, I may preach to you about the sacrament of baptism, especially about inclusion in baptism. We're going to look at this by seeing what the Church has summarized and confessed in the Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism, in connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of the scriptures, first a few verses from Luke 18, and then some verses from Acts chapter 2. So I invite you to open your Bible with me, Luke 18, the verses 15 through 17. You can find that on page 1043 of your guest Bible. Luke 18, we have the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. One man humbles himself and receives grace, and the other man refused to humble himself and does not receive grace. And immediately after that, we're told of some others who are humble. Luke 18, verse 15, there the word of God says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Then we turn in our reading to Acts chapter 2, page 1082. Acts 2 is the account of Pentecost. The Lord sends down his Holy Spirit. And then in verse 14 and following, the Apostle Peter, he explains what happens, how it is that, that the Lord poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church. And he, he just finished explaining that Jesus is the Christ and that they had just crucified the Christ. And that's the context for verse 36. He ends off his sermon with these words, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. So far. Let's now sing of God's work in establishing his covenant and bringing people into the covenant and the blessings he given in his covenant, Psalm 105, the verses 3 and 4. This afternoon, I'm going to preach God's word to you concerning the sacrament of baptism. I'm going to look at what the scripture teaches us, as that's also summarized for us in Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find it on page 541 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 27, there, the first question asks, Does this outward outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants too be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, as a sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the old covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the new covenant. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 27, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, what is the fundamental meaning of baptism? We saw last week that the Lord baptizes us, commands us to be baptized in order to remind us that Jesus Christ has washed away all our sins and to remind us that the Holy Spirit renews us to a new life. If you've been baptized by God, then God wishes to focus your attention on Jesus Christ. Christ is your Savior. He saved you from your sins. And he renews you so that you can live in a relationship with your Father. And so you are in a very precious position because of the great gift of God to you in Jesus Christ. But then, you know, there's there's also another purpose of baptism, Baptism indicates that you've been included among the people of God. In modern language, you might say that baptism is an initiation rite. It's the means by which you are brought in to the family of God. Well, The question becomes, who should be baptized? If it is the means of inclusion, then then who receives that? Should everybody be baptized? Should that be limited to certain people? And how do you make that decision? That's a really important question for us to consider. We live in a time where different people have different answers to that question. If you have a Baptist friend or a friend in other evangelical churches, it's very well possible that they don't believe in infant baptism. They rather think that only believers ought to be baptized. And so that that raises the important question, like... How do you make that decision? What does the Bible actually teach about this? Well, this afternoon I preached God's word to you with this theme, the Lord includes children in his covenant. We're going to see in the first place the nature of the covenant, and then secondly, the place of children in the covenant. Well, how are we supposed to respond to our Baptist friends when they suggest to us that the Bible teaches that only believers should be baptized? Remember that happens, and it's really good to, to try to understand how it is that they come to that view. And if you have that conversation, then, then typically there's a few passages in the Bible that they'll refer to. One of the core passages that many, many Baptists will refer to is Romans 6, the verses 3 and 4. Romans 6 is a passage that talks about the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and it connects that to, to baptism. Maybe I'll just read it with you. It's Romans 6, verse 3 there. There it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so they often emphasize, they say, there's a connection here between between baptism and Christ's death and resurrection. And so when you're baptized, your old nature is put to death and your new nature comes to life. Now, that's actually why they, they also put a great deal of emphasis on immersion, baptism by immersion, because they say that's a picture of what happens in death and resurrection. Jesus Christ went down into the grave, and so you go down under the water. And then Jesus Christ was risen to new life, and so you come up out of the water, wash clean of your sins, and you rise to a new life as a child of God. And so there's a really core passage in their thinking that's connected, where it connects baptism to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, others will, will point to Mark 16, verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so they say there's a strong connection here between believing and being baptized. And others, they they point, for example, to to the fact that when the, the word church is first used in the New Testament, it's in Matthew 16, verse 13 and following, it speaks of regenerate believers. It talks of those who profess Jesus to be their savior, that Christ is the Son of God. Well, it's... Quite a perspective. Maybe I thought one of the things that might be helpful this afternoon, in previous years we looked at this from different, from different angles. I thought maybe this year one thing that might be helpful is, is to also consider this from a historic perspective. So to just put this into the historic time in which this thinking developed and that may help us to understand and to appreciate something of the background here, to be able to evaluate that. If you talk to different Baptists, they will talk about different times that they'll identify as the beginning of their history. But probably the majority of Baptists they would they would emphasize the early 1500s as pretty instrumental in the the beginning of their beliefs. It was during this time that Martin Luther he just left the the Roman Catholic Church, 1517, that he he nailed up the 95 theses on the church wall in Wittenberg. And some of the early Baptists they. They agreed with that, and they went along with that. They came with Luther. Another follower was was Zwingli. They really appreciated the work that these men did. The First Baptists, they they were found in Switzerland. They were associated with Zwingli. They went along with the Protestant Reformation. They came out of the Roman Catholic Church. But then one of the things that they struggled with is they said that, that Zwingli and Luther weren't moving fast enough in purifying the Church, When they looked around them, they said even in the Reformed Church, even in the Roman Catholic Church at the time, the Reformed Church, there wasn't enough emphasis on purity within the church. And why was that? What was the historic context there? Well, the Roman Catholic Church, you may remember that initially there was a huge amount of persecution. In the first three centuries after the Lord Jesus Christ, it was really costly to be a believer in Jesus Christ. If you believed in Christ, then there were successive Roman emperors who used to persecute you. And many Christians lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. Well, that changed. 313, you had the the Edict of Milan. You had Constantine. He was the emperor of the Roman provinces of of Britain and France. It was called Gaul. Britain, France, Germany and he came down in order to engage in battle with Maxinius who was the the Roman Emperor in Italy and in northern Europe or northern northern Africa and just before he engaged in battle then Constantine you remember the story maybe from church history class he he saw this sign in the sky above the sun he saw this cross and with the cross it says by this sign conquer and a way smaller army he engaged in battle and he won the battle. And so he passed the Edict of Milan, and it put an end to the persecution of Christians. And he started favoring Christians. And he started giving all sorts of benefits to the church. He built churches, and he supported Christians. And what ended up happening is that instead of becoming a, being a Christian being a negative thing that led to great persecution, being a Christian was a really positive thing. And it led to great material blessing. And so starting with Constantine, and over the course of the next centuries, if you're a church member, then that was just a really good thing. And so everybody joined the church. And everybody in society, they wanted to become a member, and that was the normal thing. Well, that kind of developed over the course of the next millennia, so that by the time Luther came along, and he came to reform the church, then there were many people who were members of the church who were members in name only. They were nominal Christians. They didn't have a living faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't recognize their sins. They didn't live in close fellowship with God. And so some of these men, they came out of that, and they saw all these nominal Christians, and they said, we need a pure church. We need a church of faithful people who believe in God, who walk by the Spirit, who love the Lord, and who serve Him only. There's a couple of men that actually started in in Switzerland. There's a few men, Grable and Blaurock. They're really devoted students of the Bible. So these Baptist men, they had a high regard for Christ. They loved his word, his church, his commandments. They really emphasized living a pure life. So things like love and holiness and self-denial and humility and peace. But at the same time, they, they really struggled with Zwingli, but he wasn't moving fast enough. And so they, they encouraged people. It was a new thing at the time. They encouraged people to engage in Bible studies. You should have personal Bible studies in your home. And it was at one of these Bible studies, 1525, that the one man, he, he baptized the other man. And then he went and baptized everyone else present in the room. It was the, the defining feature was this rebaptism, this anabaptism. And so who could be a member of the church? Well, those who are sincere Christians. And how do you know? Well, you have to profess faith in Christ, and then you will be rebaptized. And then you're, you're after you've made this credible confession, then you have a church that's pure and holy. And part of the, the thinking underneath this is that they wanted the church to be separate, separate from the world, separate from the government, separate from anything that would would cause undue influence within the church. And so when you know, get to know some of the Baptists, and especially some of the Anabaptists, then this, this thinking comes out in multiple ways. It's not just with regards to baptism, but for example, many of them believe that a Christian should not hold office in the government. That involves the use of the sword. They should not be a soldier. They should not take an oath, and they should not sue in the courts. And then some of the later Anabaptists, if you read the history, you read about the, the Brethren or the Mennonites. It was uh, a further separation, very strong communities, and further separation from the world. Or if you go to North America, if you go to, to Russia, you have the Dukaburs, you have the Amish, you have the Hutterites. They live together in communities where they try to be completely separate from the world. Well, you hear about these things, brothers and sisters. Kind of wonder to yourself, how do you make sense of this? Sounds like a really good thing. You want to be separate from the world. You want to live a pure and a holy life. And you know it is. And this part of their heritage, when you meet Baptist people, this is something that often comes out in their thinking. They have a really strong sense of of needing to be separate from the world. They often live holy lives. And sometimes they do it to an extent that puts us to shame. You know, in our, in our thinking, we have this, this phrase that often operates among us we have to be in the world, but not of the world. But then sometimes you wonder if the world has gotten into us, if we haven't made compromises. We heard this morning of, of Judah going out and making compromises with the world. And sometimes you know, we have to look at ourselves, you have to wonder if we if we have made some compromises in different ways. But the Lord doesn't teach us in his word that we have to leave the world. We have to join communes. I Have to think of John seventeen fifteen. Our Lord Jesus Christ prays there, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There's a really Strong calling for us to indeed to be kept pure before God. Well, how do the, the Baptists work it out? Well, they say that a close association with the world, a close association with the state, is the core of the issue. That's the real problem. And they say infant baptism is part of that. If a child is allowed to be baptized as an infant then they say that the church is full of mixed people. It's not necessarily a pure church, but it's a church that has believers plus these extra children who may or may not be believers. And so they say that's inappropriate. First, you have to make a credible profession of your faith before you can be allowed to join the church. What's quite striking in this regard, brothers and sisters, is if ever it happens that that you leave our church. We have some members who have done this. They've left our churches and they decide to join a Baptist church. Now, the very first thing that happens, if you wish to join a Baptist church, the very first thing you need to do is you need to be rebaptized, and effectively, is a repudiation of your baptism as an infant, as if that doesn't count in some way. Well, what does the Lord think of these things? The real question is, what's the point of baptism? When does somebody become a member of the family of God? When should they be baptized? Is it a sign that you're being regenerated, that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Is it only those who have faith who may be included among the people of God? Are infants excluded from being a part of the church? by virtue of the fact that they have not yet made such a profession of their faith? That's not what the Bible teaches. The most foundational thing that the Bible teaches is that he is the one who establishes a covenant. And when he establishes the covenant, he takes the initiative and he establishes that covenant with believers and also with their children. It's really quite striking. There's a great emphasis in the scriptures on the fact that God takes the initiative. The Lord doesn't wait till we come to Him before He allows us to be included among His people. You know, if God actually waited for people to come to Him, then, then there would be no church. If you read about God first establishing His covenant, then it's always Him going after His people. Happened right in Genesis 3. Adam sins against God. And as soon as he sins, what's Adam's natural reaction is that he wants to get away from God. He realizes that he sins. And he's afraid of God. And so he lights out of there and he tries to hide. And it is the Lord who goes after him. The Lord who has to ask him, He says, Adam, where are you? What's going on here? And so God takes the initiative. Or when God established the covenant with Abraham. He didn't wait for Abraham to come looking for him. That's well, really quite striking. The Lord is the one who chose Abraham and who called him out of Haran and who sent him into the promised land. You read about it in Genesis 12 verse 1. And then Genesis 17 verse 7, God takes the initiative in establishing a covenant with Abraham. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God well did the Lord establish this covenant with Abraham because Abram really wanted it did Abram come to him and say Lord Please, I'd love to be your son. I'd love to be included in your family. I'd love to to be a part of this. That's not what happened. Joshua 24, the verses 2 and 3, the Lord is recounting... Sorry, the Lord's servant Joshua there. Joshua is recounting the history of God's dealings with his people. When he goes over the history... And the one thing that, that he emphasizes is that the Lord is the one who gave the land of Canaan as an inheritance. And the Lord does this as an act of grace. And he did it for people who don't deserve it. And when he, he tells the history, then he starts with Abraham. And he shows that Abraham didn't deserve it either. Joshua 24 verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Joshua says that his father and his brother and he, so Abram's father, brother, and Abram himself, were living beyond the river and they were serving other gods. And it's when they were serving other gods that the Lord came to them and the Lord said, Abraham, I want you to come to this promised land. I choose you and I give you this land as a demonstration that you are my son and that I'm your father. And so once again, the Lord takes the initiative in reaching out and establishing a relationship between himself and his people. And you get to the New Testament and you see that same pattern continues in the New Testament era. We just read together from Acts 2. Verse 39 there, Peter says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God calls certain people to himself and he extends his promises to them. And those are the people who are included in his family. It's not that we reach out in our own strength, brothers and sisters, God takes the initiative and he reaches out to us. Well, if God takes the initiative, then the real question becomes, with whom does God take that initiative? Is it only with those who make a credible profession of faith? We know it is with those people. There are many places the Lord teaches us and he shows us that people came to believe in him and then they're included in his church. So Acts 2, it's when the people in Jerusalem were cut to the heart because they crucified the Christ, when they put their faith in him, that they were baptized, that they're included. Or in Acts 8, we're told there it's only when the people believed the preaching of the good news by Philip that they were baptized. It's when the Ethiopian eunuch believed that he was baptized, and when Paul believed that Jesus is the Christ, that he was baptized in Acts 9.18. So in a sense, our Baptist friends, they're very right, because they say baptism is for believers. And there is biblical testimony that shows that's very clearly the case. If someone doesn't know Christ, and if they wish to join the church, then the first thing we look for is indeed a credible profession of their faith. But then the Bible says it's not only limited to those people. God doesn't just take the initiative with those people. The Bible also shows us that the Lord has a special place in his heart for the children of believers, and that the Lord includes them with their parents in the covenant of grace. Now, if you receive a child, you're a believer and you receive a child from the Lord, this afternoon, we're going to pray in a minute just for Neil and Carmen Jarrah. Early this morning, they received a, a healthy baby boy. His son, Andrew, was born, and, and all things are well for him. But when they receive a child from the Lord, they don't have to wait for their baby to, to grow up before he's included in the covenant to God. God doesn't say, no, no, he's not allowed to be part of my family. He needs to wait till he's 18 years old. He needs to make a credible profession of faith and it's only when he's 20 years old, 18, 19, 20 years old, and he makes that profession of faith, that I'll think about including him among my people. The language of the scripture is the opposite. When God establishes a covenant with Abraham, he says to Abraham, it's for you and for your descendants. I will establish, Genesis seventeen seven. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God also drives that home a few verses later with Abraham. He says that all the little boys had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And you see something similar in the New Testament. At Pentecost, we just read together Acts 2, For the promise is to you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You have a similar point that's made in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he's, he's instructing the people about marriage, about how to function together in marriage relationships. One of the situations that they often faced in, in the New Testament church is they had lots of people who came to faith later in life, and they were married to somebody who was not a believer. And they wondered, oh, they struggled with that. How do we manage that? And then the Lord, he said to them, he says, well, if, if the unbelieving partner, spouse, is willing to live with you, then you don't divorce them. Then you stay together. And then he has this, this very remarkable statement. So 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. He says that the unbelieving man or woman has been sanctified by their believing spouse. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. If you are a believer, then your children are holy. They're set apart. Set apart from sin, set apart for service to God. That's a gift that the child receives by virtue of the faith of their parents. You know, it's not a surprise then that you read a, a similar thing happening in Luke 18. We just read together a few moments ago, just a few verses there. There were some parents who wanted to bring their children to Jesus Christ so that Christ would touch them. They saw all this power going out from him. And they saw Jesus Christ healing many different people. You understand, in a culture like that, in a time before the modern medicine that we have, there were many infants who would die in their infancy. And so these parents, they wanted Jesus to to touch their children. And then the, the scripture tells us that when the disciples saw it, then they rebuked them. The Lord Jesus has far more important things to do than just touch these children. And it's quite striking. The parallel passage, Mark ten fourteen, it says that Jesus was indignant with his disciples. He was upset with them. It's one of two times in the New Testament where it tells us that Jesus was upset. He's upset with his disciples for keeping the children away. And he says to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. To such belongs the kingdom of God. You don't keep them away, but you let them come because God's kingdom belongs to such as these. The children of believers are included in the covenant of grace together with their parents. It's not dependent on the child. It's not because the child has done anything to make themselves acceptable or pleasing in the sight of God. But it's a gift of God that the Lord gives as an act of grace. If you you think of an analogy, brothers and sisters, if you have a child, you don't say to your child, you know, son, we're going to wait and see if you belong in this family. Maybe when you're 18 years old, and if you tell us that you really would love to be a part of the family, that you love us, then we'll include you, and then we'll allow you to be a part of, of the family and to join in, in the blessings of the family. The scripture says from day one, you're included. When our children are born, then they're part of our family. And as our children grow up, then we teach them about the privileges of family life and the responsibilities of family life. We tell them how rich they are. We show them how rich they are to be a part of a family. The family is a safe context. It's a healthy context. where there's a lot of love and faithfulness and kindness and gentleness. When we join the family of God, then we have a great responsibility as parents to instruct our children to teach them about what a blessing it is. For them to be part of God's family. And we have to teach them about the responsibilities that they have as the people of God. You are God's children. He has included you. He's promised to live in your hearts with his Holy Spirit and to renew you. And he's promised to wash away all your sins. And as you look to him in faith, then you get to appropriate those promises. And so there's a great calling that as you grow up, that you know the Lord. That you love him. And that you serve him. And that you thank him. And so, boys and girls, you need to know that, that you belong to the Lord, that He is your Father, that He loves you, and that you get to be a part of His family. And your parents, as you grow up, your parents are going to tell you about everything that God has done for you. They're going to call you to, to know the Lord, and to love Him, and to serve Him, and to thank Him for everything that He's done for you. If you think about it from this perspective, brothers and sisters, then you realize what a treasure it is that we get to to be the people of God, that we get to be included in His family. It's really beautiful that that our Baptist friends that they wish to have a pure church. That is also our calling, and that's why the elders have the responsibility. If somebody doesn't live by faith, and as elders, then we have to admonish that person. We have to call that person to repent. We have to seek that that the person is restored in their relationship with their Father in heaven. If they don't live in faith, if they persist in that, if they persist in rebelling against God, then we warn them again and again, and then it can happen eventually that that we exclude someone from the communion. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, and if you don't look to him as your Savior, if you don't love him, but if you hate him, and if you don't wish to be a part of his family, that you will be excluded, that you don't share the inheritance that he gives to his people, that you don't receive the forgiveness of sins, you don't receive the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to undermine the teaching of baptism in order to maintain the purity of the church. God has given us a really precious gift, including us and our children in his family. We have to maintain the biblical teaching about that. And then as we go through life, it's important for us to reflect back on our baptism. There may be times where we struggle in faith. Maybe may be times where it gets really difficult for us. And Those are the times where we need to remember that we have been baptized, that God has promised to forgive all our sins, that the Holy Spirit's promised to make us into these new people. And as we reflect on those promises, we can again receive the grace of God and be drawn near to him. This is the the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came in this world so that none of his own would be missing, that everyone who believes in him would share in him on his great day. Amen. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We'll sing from Psalm 78, the verses 1, 2, and 3. and sisters, let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we'll remember the little boy that God has given to our brother and sister, Carmen and Neil Jerah. They've called him Andrew Denny and, um, Jera, or the name is going to be Andy. So we'll thank God for the blessing that God's given to them. There's a few complications for our sister, but at this time, all things are well for mother and, and son. And we'll also remember in second place. Um, Our brother, Dathan Plater, he graduated this past week. He wasn't able to be present physically, but he was one of the students who graduated from the seminary this past Friday. In the third place, we'll also remember that this morning in PNG, there was a significant earthquake um, with a magnitude of 7.6. The epicenter of the earthquake was quite close to Ukurumpa, where our missionary personnel are based. It's quite close to the congregation of Wantoon. Thankfully, Pastor Ryan, Pastor David, and Brother Ben could report to us that Everything's okay, including the churches in Gila and Ley. Um, they've had some communication with the church in Wantoon. Um, one of the members there has, has lost their house and there's been damage to, to a number of other homes there as well. And so we'll, we'll ask God to care for his people also in, in P&G. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you have established your covenant with us and our children. Thank you, Lord, that you've also signified this covenant in the institution of baptism. You command us, Lord, that when we believe in you, then we are to be baptized. When you give us as believers children, then these children also are included with us in the covenant of grace. It's an incredible blessing that you give us, Lord, because many times we are those who rebel against you by nature, it's, it's not our nature to seek you or to seek your kingdom. It's our nature to, to go our own way. But as an act of grace, you reach into our hearts with your word. and You make us alive to you. You bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that, Lord. We honor you and we praise you for that gift. Thank you also for the many visitors that you bring to our congregation, for the powerful way that you're working in their hearts and lives, that they're growing in faith in your son, Jesus Christ, they're growing in an understanding of who you are and what you've done. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them, that as they, they understand your power and your glory, your holiness, your majesty, that they comprehend the grace that you've shown them, your kindness in our Lord Jesus Christ, the great sacrifice that you've made in, in sending your son to die on the cross, that their hearts would be filled with love for you, and that they may, they may receive your blessing as your children. Father, we also thank you that when we are included in your covenant, then you also include our children. It's a real kindness that you give us, Lord, that our children are not separate from you. That would be a very difficult thing for us. If we loved you and if you didn't love our children, then that that would really be hard for us. And so we're very thankful to you that you include our children with, with us in the covenant of grace but then, Lord, you also teach us that we have a significant responsibility. We just, read, we just sang together from, from Psalm 78, that as parents, it is our task to teach our children the great deeds that you have done in the past. Teach them especially who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, so that they may put their faith in you. Father, we ask for our children that you would give them new life, that you work regeneration in their hearts through your Holy Spirit, and that you bring them to yourself, that you sanctify them, that more and more they put sin to death and they live holy lives before you. Father, we ask that you would help our children to come to the point where they respond to their baptism in faith, where they realize the immense promises that you've extended to them, where they believe those things, where they they confess their faith in you, where they may be full members of your church. Father, thank you that you are working this out. We pray that you will continue this great work. Sometimes we, we have serious concerns for our children, Lord. Sometimes they, they get caught in sin. Sometimes they don't treasure our relationship with you. Sometimes they don't realize what a great God you are, and they don't love you. And that is a very difficult matter for us as parents. So we ask, Father, that you would continue to work in the hearts of our children, that you draw them near to you. Please also grant that you call back to you those who have gone astray. Father, we thank you that you've given new life to our brother and sister, Jarrah, so grateful that that things may be well, that they've received a son. Thank you that that Andrew could be born and that he could be well. We also pray, Lord, that you would continue to watch over our sister, Carmen, that you be a father to her and that that you grant that she may feel better and that all would be well with her. Dear Father in heaven, please be with this family that they may raise up their son to know and to love you. Thank you for, for the rich measure of your spirit. Thank you for including him in your family. And thank you for the gifts of your grace towards them. Please grant that they may have a lot of joy and grant that everything may be well for them. Father, we also wish to ask you that you would please bless our, our brother Plater. Thankful that he could graduate this past Friday, that he's able to, to complete his degree and, and that, that formally was, was acknowledged together with with the other students in his year. Thank you so much, Lord, for, for the gift of the seminary that we received. Thank you that these young men can receive training there, that they're able to complete their training and that they may take up work in the churches. We also wish to pray, Father, for the other two men who, who are coming to Australia. We think of Brother Rodney Dinboer and also Brother Anson Vendelden. We're grateful that they've accepted calls to the Church of Darling Downs in Lugana. We want to ask, Lord, that you would please also bless them. Grant that they're able to complete their ordination exam in due time, and that they may be ordained in their congregations and take up the task of preachers of the gospel. Father, we, we honor you that, that together with the other students, that they're able to complete their degree and that they, they receive these skills. We ask that, that you bless all of them in the, the place where you put them. Thank you for the faithful preaching of Brother Plater. And we ask that you bless him in the coming year and the work that he does among us. Your Father in heaven, we also wish to entrust to you the the churches in PNG. We heard in the news that there is a serious earthquake that happened not far from, from where our missionaries live. We're grateful to you, Lord, that you preserved their lives. Thankful also that you watched over the members of the congregation, that no one lost their lives. We ask, Father, that you would continue to to be near to our brothers and sisters there and that you surround them with your love and care. They have been Shaken up by this, and there's they've been impacted by that. Some of their homes have been damaged and, and there's things that need, need fixing and doing. We pray that you help them through that process and that you that you be near to them. We also pray, Lord, that you would please use this in PNG to, to help other people to recognize that they need you, to realize that you are the Lord and you are the one who holds all things in your hands. Lord it says you as you bring these things into this world, then we realize that that you call us to a living faith in Jesus Christ, that you are giving us these early warning signs that the end is not yet, but that it is coming, and that Jesus Christ is going to return on the clouds of heaven. We pray then that we may be ready for that great day. Father, we ask that you would please bless our missionaries that they're able to share the hope of the gospel, that they can comfort the people who are affected by this earthquake and that you would also give them all that they need so that they have peace in their hearts in the work that they do. Thank you for your faithful care. We pray that, that you would continue to watch out for them. Then, Father, we also pray for a blessing over the collection that we have for the work in p g We ask, Lord, that you would please use these, these funds and bless them. Please grant that, that the, the work may go on there and that your people may receive all that they need from your hands also pray, Lord, for the members of our congregation. We ask that you would be near to those who are in pain. There's a significant number of members in our congregation who daily have to face a lot of pain. We pray, Lord, that you would help them see their way through it. Pain is one of those things that we can deal with for a day or for a few days or for a week. But then oftentimes it goes away. But then for those people who are in pain for an extended period of time, that can be quite a challenge for them. And so we ask that you give peace of mind that you comfort them, that you give relief from the pain, and that you, that you show them your, your love and care. Lord, we also pray that you be near to those who have other health concerns. There's quite a few who are under doctor's care. Also pray, Father, that you would be near to those who, who face broken relationships, or those who sometimes struggle with, with different struggles in their minds, some people who, who struggle with anxiety, some people who, who also struggle because of a lack of peace, please be near to your children. Please grant that we can, can live and walk in the light of your presence, and that we may have the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. Father, we ask that you would please bless us as a congregation in the unity that we have together. Grant that we may love one another from the heart. Thank you for all the love that you've given us, Lord. So many ways in which we experience your blessing, your kindness towards us, also from one another, and we honour you for that. We ask, Lord, that you please take care of us in the coming week, bless the work that we do, grant that we may be faithful in our tasks for you. Give us work, Lord, and grant that, that it may go well for us. Please forgive us for all our sins, please hear our prayer, and please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection, like we mentioned a moment ago, is for the mission work in PNG. and And after the collections, we're going to sing hymn 85, verses 1, 2, and 3. Receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.